This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 174, Life Insurance on Your Kids. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode. I'm excited to cover some pretty interesting and, again, not-so-average content. It flies in the face of conventional thinking and ways in which to build real wealth, not only for you, but for your family. Again, welcome. My name is Mark Willis, a certified financial planner and a bank-on-yourself professional. We're going to be covering something that may shock you, may even cause you to do a double take or your jaw might be dropping as we go through our content today. I think you're going to love it though. So first things first, I want you to picture in your mind a forest, beautiful lush trees, beautiful pine needles, wherever you might be in the world. Now imagine yourself a lumberjack or a forester. And let's say you have 4,000 acres of land to grow trees that will take about 40 years for those trees to reach maturity. You have a few choices. Either you can plant seeds on all 4,000 acres all at once, and then wait an entire 40 years and harvest all the trees all at once, and then do it all over again, waiting another 40 years for income to return. Or you can smartly divide your land into 40 parcels, 40 components of 100 acres each, and create an even distribution of age classes. Along the way, you plan to harvest some of the less desirable trees to leave room for the healthier ones, the best specimens, as it were. And this means you can begin drawing income from the farm without having to wait an entire 40 years. However, once the whole system is completely established, it's an incredible income producer. But you have to wait. You have to learn to wait with the growth of those trees. Nothing can make those trees grow any faster. And something similar can be done when creating a banking system for the whole family. Now, again, we're not setting up an FDIC-insured bank. We're talking about using whole life insurance as a means by which to accomplish the banking function and system within your family through life insurance. But it will take a thorough knowledge of the concept, not just in you, not just in you and your spouse, but throughout the entire family system to make this work. Now, first and most immediate question people ask is, why in the world would we add life insurance policies on our children? I've got a very young child in my home, beautiful, lovely daughter. And why in the world would we have life insurance on a young child? I thought that was for the breadwinners of the family or the working spouse or whatever it might be. But why would we add life insurance on young children? It seems almost macabre, almost of a gallows humor to even think about such things. So for example, I'd like for you to imagine an elderly couple maybe a grandma, grandpa, who's retired from business, and they've caught the vision of bank on yourself. All right, so just hold on to this thought for a minute. They've caught that vision of establishing substantial life insurance policies on themselves, but also on their four grandchildren, two boys and two girls. The grandparents, let's say, put in $2,000 a year of premium into each of their four grandchildren's policies. Again, two girls from one adult son and two boys from their other adult son. 
That means they'll be retaining ownership, the grandparents will, until the grandparents passing, with the ownership of the policy then going to their two adult sons at that time, at the time of the grandparents passing. Now let's fast forward a few years. There's nothing quick about forestry and there's nothing quick about setting up a banking system within a family. So let's fast forward a few years. And now both adult sons have become grandparents themselves. And now they have a total of eight grandchildren collectively. And they've diligently followed their parents' example that they also then purchase life insurance on each of the newborn children in the amount of $6,000 of annual premium, helping keep up with inflation and more. The premiums are planned for a payment period of just 20 years. And approximately that's one generation, essentially. After the 20 years, the policies are fully paid up. That means no more premiums are due for the rest of the policy's lifetime. And yet the face amount and the cash values, even after premiums stop, will continue to grow. In fact, they'll grow significantly over the years. Now at that time, the 20-year-old policies have $190,000 of cash value and a death benefit of $1.9 million. By age 70, the cash value has grown to $2 million, and the death benefit has also grown to $3.9 million. So we've essentially seen con continuous compounding growth over a child's entire lifespan. We always talk in the financial circles about compound growth and how time is money. The time value of money is one of the key concepts of financial professionals like myself. But very rarely do we think about using a system like a whole life contract to last, go figure, a whole life. Maybe that's inherent in the name. You know, we typically think about setting up mutual funds for 15 years until our kids are ready to graduate high school. Maybe we think about retirement in our 401ks for 20 or 30 years. How often have you really stopped to think about an uninterrupted compounding wealth generating system that might last 75, 85, 100 years long. And that's the strategy of life insurance on our children. So by age 70, as I mentioned, the cash value of these policies, which we didn't fund after the 20th year, has grown to $2 million by the child's age 70. And the death benefit is at $3.9 million all of which under current law means no taxes would be due on any of the gains on either the death benefit when the child should pass at age 70, let's say, or that cash value if it's taken out correctly. Now, at that point, the child, obviously an adult and even maybe a grandparent, him or herself, now is ready for her retirement and could draw a pension-like income in the amount of $110,000 a year from the cash value until age 95, totaling an income of $2.75 million and still leave an impressive six-figure death benefit to her children. Now, just keep that in mind. We just went through four generations of wealth in about two minutes there. So you may want to go back and re-listen to that because the power of compounding growth over multiple generations has the power to change your family's tree especially in the financial arena. Now, I think you'll have to admit, that's pretty impressive. Where was Wall Street in any of that? Where was the risk of Wall Street or the risk of real estate going up and down? Or what about the risk of taxes going up or inflation going up? But what we don't understand is this. If the insured, the young child at age 22, 
you know, has all of their cash value funded at that point, then they can simply use the policy for their lifetime needs. Let's say, what about their car purchases? They can use the cash value and play the game of bank on yourself by using the policy loan feature and then paying that policy loan back on a regular and consistent schedule on their, on their terms, of course. That would have been money lost out of the family and off to the, you know, the car financing dealer down the street. And then, of course, the money is back in the policy to be then used again for her down payment on a home and then possibly used again for the next home or some real estate investments she wants to make. This is, again, over one's entire lifetime using this pool of money like a line of credit that never goes away and even given to her children to send her kids to college and more. It will not impact her retirement income figures even if she accesses the money. As you may know, a avid listener of our show, when you borrow against a policy that's designed the bank on yourself way, it continues to grow as if there is no loan, even on the capital we borrow. So it will not impact uh, the child's retirement, even as she's borrowing and paying back the cash value loan feature on the policy. It's tremendous. How many of us will spend millions of dollars over our lifetime to just buy the stuff of life? Let's say she financed her house purchase when cash values were adequate to do so. Let's say she goes on a couple of international trips with the entire family and uses the policy to help her do that or invest in some cash flowing real estate and more. You know, you were able to use this for anything at all. In fact, the policy becomes more and more valuable the more you use it, meaning the more you're keeping that cash locked up and never touched, it's not really doing as much or as, as good as it could have done. So keep that money, that policy's cash value in motion. Now, as that child becomes a grandparent herself, she'll buy policies on her grandchildren. It's a message that she's received from her grandparents, and now she passes it on to the next generation. This is where one grandparent becomes the funder and the source of funds for the new generation. And it can be done over an even distribution. Both the adult children and the grandchildren can receive policies owned and controlled by grandma and grandpa, but passed along to at least two and even then three generations without any trouble at all. There's a perpetual motion in your family's financial world with this strategy. You've created it, you've designed it, and it works like clockwork. Now, there are a number of significant advantages to doing this strategy. One, it covers multiple generations. It promotes long-range planning within the family. Two, the underwriting problems are minimized. There's very rarely any medical issues that arise in underwriting a child for life insurance. Three, tax-free buildup of cash value over a long period of time. You can access the cash and there's no taxes due under current law, and there's no taxes due yearly on life insurance, like there would be, for example, in a, in a CD or a savings bond you might earn for your child. The outlay, meaning the premium or your contributions to a policy on a child, is usually very small compared to the ultimate yield, since we're talking about decades of growth. The next tip here I want to say is that the grandparents that are paying the premiums are most often the ones that are rolling. You know, they've got the most cash to put into policies. So they're very often the source of money or the gifter or the grantor of the policy premiums, since they may or may not, usually they do, have the most cash to put into policies. Now, when the death benefit occurs, 
the system becomes self-sustaining. That means when a adult child who got a policy when he was a baby or she was a baby, when he or she passes away, ultimately, that becomes the source of money for the next generation's life insurance policies. I'll tell you a very quick story, and it relates to my own story. When my mom passed away a few years ago, I missed her. I wanted her back. I would give anything to bring her back to this side of heaven and just to be with her again. But before she passed away, had set up several life insurance policies for my brother and myself. And that gave us the money needed to fund four brand new policies on myself, my wife, and my brother and his wife. And that became the source of money for now a portfolio of wealth that will be passed on to my mother's grandchildren. See how that works? It's a great way to overcome and even self-sustain and self-complete the policies for the family's banking portfolio. When the passing of the benefactor or the matriarch or patriarch of the family happens, which ultimately will happen for all of us, when that day comes, that becomes the source of money sometimes to fund the life insurance on the next generation. Now, it also creates a simple and assured passive income stream for the children and grandchildren in the family. You know, this life insurance cash value can supplement or even replace the needs for other streams of income from 401ks, IRAs, and more. The family becomes your greatest asset in your portfolio. Think of that. I mean, that's as old an idea as you can get, where the family becomes the center of the financial stability of your life. It's no longer relying on outside influences like Wall Street or the government to take care of us. Now it's the family that brings the financial stability that we need. That's the greatest gift you can leave your family. And then finally, estate planning for the family can be greatly simplified with some life insurance policies. Greatly simplified. We can get into all the details of avoiding probate and going directly to your beneficiaries, keeping it private outside of the courts. But suffice it to say, it simplifies the estate planning process when you have some policies to leave the family. And one thing that I also want to say is it creates a wealth mentality. So it's not just the numbers and details of the policies and the premiums. It's also the thought process. It's the mentality that's created and then transferred to the next generation over a long period of time. We're talking about producing consistent understanding among multiple generations. They're learning not just about the numbers and the dividend check they might have gotten in their policy and whatnot, the paid up additions, what is that? They're also the kids and the grandkids are slowly and, and consistently learning a mindset and learning a process of, of how we're going to operate as a family, how we're going to not go down the street for the car loan or the student loan, but we're going to use the family as our source of capital for all of life's major needs for the entire family system. So it creates that mindset of wealth. It also promotes the understanding of stewardship learning that we're not just here as an island to take, but we're also here to give to our next generation to help them succeed just like we were given gifts to succeed as well. So that's the concept of life insurance on children and grandchildren. As odd as it may seem, it's an old idea, very, very old idea. Now, if you think it's pretty radical, look at what the Rockefellers did. Each generation of Rockefellers gets life insurance on the next generation. And they've created a perpetual motion machine of wealth for their family for now generations. They don't just prepare the money for the people. 
They prepare the people for the money. Let me say that again. That's very important. Don't just build up a big pile of money to give your kiddos. Learn how to help the kids get ready for that big pile of money. We're talking about education, of course. So me being the parent of a young child, I've noticed there's certain assumptions that people have when you bring your bundle of joy back home from the hospital. One of those milestones of any American child is the assumption that that child will go to college. If there was any question as to the value of going to a college, you're quickly reminded of the oh-so-average culture that says you need to spend four years on a campus and rifling through degrees like you shuffle through songs on a Spotify playlist um, because that's just the way we do things around here in our culture. But in fact, we're often brought back in line to the average way of thinking by being told how much more the average college-educated child will learn over a lifetime as compared with the average child who does not get a college degree. But many today that I meet in our one-on-one Zoom calls or phone calls with clients, we learn that many people are starting to push back against that average advice because they don't want to be average. Guys, we don't want to be average. We want to be awesome. They don't necessarily automatically agree or believe that their child has to go to college just to be a human being in this world. They want to provide, of course, the very best life they can for their children. And many parents deeply value education, but they have this distinct feeling that the college degree has become extremely overrated in terms of its value. Many are witnessing a number of people who have college degrees who appear to be educated on paper, but don't have any ability to earn income or provide value in the marketplace. Many children actually go to college because that's what they were told to do. That's the exact opposite of the critical thinking skills needed to be successful in the world. To just do what you were told is not exactly the kind of leadership skills that you want to instill in your child. So they're there to get a J-O-B or some certification. They're not at college necessarily to get an education. So they're there to get maybe the job and the certification, not necessarily a true education. So as college costs continue to climb and the value of college degrees does not grow along with the cost, there's going to be a day coming someday when consumers are going to wise up to this house of college cards and it's going to come crashing down. Just like any stock price or real estate price, when the value of anything exceeds its actual basis of return, a crash is inevitable. So the idea that, quote, everybody needs a college degree has its roots in a period just after World War II, actually, in the advent of the GI Bill. Since that time, Parkinson's law has taken effect. And the Parkinson's law, for those uh, unfamiliar, is the law that says a luxury enjoyed becomes a necessity. Now, the cry among the average American is, everybody needs a college degree. And of course, the cost of college has grown at roughly double the rate of inflation, and the rest of the economy hasn't been able to keep up with the cost. Just contrast that with what happened to personal computers. If you can contrast the price of a college education with the price of a home personal computer, it's stark. It's remarkable. The price of a computer has come down dramatically and the value uh, of computers have gone up exponentially, whereas the college degrees have done exactly the opposite. They've become more expensive and, and seem to be less valuable. But if we don't send our kid to college for that piece of paper known as a degree, 
what is the alternative? How can we help do the very best thing we can for our children? Well, what if you took the same money you would have otherwise spent on that college degree, that piece of paper, and taught your child to start a business with your actual capital, and you became your child's angel investor? Wouldn't you make sure they got a real education? I mean, your money's in the line there. Wouldn't you make sure they got a tr not just a degree, but a real education and that they became a profitable business? This is your money invested after all. You're going to be keeping an eye on that money, not to mention your desire to watch them succeed. Now, what about teaching the child the value of learning the banking system through the use of dividend paying whole life insurance? What if you were to put a comparable dollar amount that we would have otherwise put into a college degree into a bank on yourself type policy instead? Let's do the numbers on this. Let's construct the case. Let's look at it. Learning to think like a banker. Let's see what the power and the value might be. The average cost of tuition, fees, room and board for 2019-2020 school year was almost 22,000 bucks, 21,950 for a one year in-state student at a state school. And guys, it was almost $50,000 for a private degree, according to the college board. So that adds up to 87,800 bucks for a four-year state school and almost $200,000 to get through a four-year degree at a private school as of this year. So let's meet a guy named College Stu. That's his name, College Stu. Stu is 18 years old. Let's assume that each year of tuition, room, board, et cetera, for a standard degree for College Stu would be 32,000 bucks. That's kind of right down the middle between public and private college there. What if instead of paying for that degree in underwater basket weaving or a degree in beer pong, you decided to start a policy on college stew for $32,000 a year and you funded the policy for four years. After the fourth year, you gave the child access to the cash value to invest in real estate, or maybe you decided instead to help him start a business. Let's say that you were the owner of the policy, but you could use the loans, of course, at your discretion, which included helping send some money to Stu to help him with his business. And let's say you set up a payment plan that you felt comfortable with using the cash value for business investments or property acquisition. Okay, so again, you might be his parent or whatnot, but you fund the policy on Stu only for four years, just like a college degree. Starting in the second year, after a year of Stu going through some basic study and apprenticeship, kind of learning the basics on what his business is going to be, you give Stu a $20,000 loan from the policy that you set up to invest in some real estate. So he's got money, 20 grand, as a down payment to put down onto a property. But the rent, let's say, only covers his new mortgage and nothing else. So he's learning tons in the second year as a, about how to be a business owner and a landlord. He's learning tons about real estate tax strategy, but he is unable and does not pay down that policy loan in the second year. So again, for years one through four, you're funding the policy like college tuition at, at $32,000 a year. And for four years, Stu takes another loan every year from year two, three, four, and five. So that's four policy loans. He takes 20 grand to buy another property and does not pay you back. So right now he's got, you know, 20, 40, 60, $80,000 total loan out, uh, out from the policy. And at year five, you tell him you will loan his policy on him until he's able to pay you back the loan. 
He has those four rental properties and he's becoming more confident that he'll be able to do it, to pay off the policy loan because he wants that policy. He understands how valuable that cash value and the death benefit will be. So he starts paying the policy loan at $25,000 a year with rent and cash out refis over the next six years. The year Stu pays off the policy loan to you completely is year 12. So now we've gone 12 years and he has now four rental real estate properties in this example. Remember, you haven't added cash value to this policy for eight years. You stopped after the fourth year and now it's year 12. And now you transfer that policy to Stu and he has a cash value at that point of $156,000 and a death benefit of $1.3 million. He is so pumped that he adds an additional 10 grand out of pocket to the premium because you know it's a banker payday to his bank, as he calls it. So he adds that $10,000 in the 12th year. The next year, he takes a $100,000 loan to buy some additional larger commercial properties. Now he's getting more and more confident. He's starting to buy larger apartment buildings and some larger real estate deals. And he repays those loans starting the following year at $25,000 a year. Every six years, he buys another big property, as Kiyosaki might say, a big deal. So every six years, he repeats the process. And when he pays off the policy loan, he adds another ten grand of premium to the policy as a, quote, banker payday. Reminder, he's not adding any premium in between these six years. Those banker paydays, that 10 grand every six years, that's the only additional premium he's adding to this policy. Otherwise, he's just using the policy loan to pay down policy loans on his own schedule. At age 65, he'd have, wait for it, $767,000. Without those paydays, those banker paydays every six years, he'd only have 620 grand. So he was using those banker paydays to further capitalize his policy, the additional paid up additions going into the policy every six years. By doing that, he had all that extra wealth, a total of $767,000 inside his policy's cash value. But he also has four single family homes from his college days, quote unquote college days, and he has five apartment buildings, all of which are cash flowing and providing income in his retirement. But wait a minute, his policy also is able to take a total of $38,000 a year income tax-free out of the policy to supplement everything he's pulling from his real estate deals. Now, guys, that is a real education. In my opinion, that's a great alternative to the kind of the traditional college uh, degree. So take a moment and ask yourself, what's a dollar worth today? And I have a simple calculator I'd like to pull up just to give you a few examples. I have a calculator that allows me to tell what a dollar going into a bank on yourself type whole life policy, specifically the paid up additions writer, will grow to over one's lifetime. So at age 60 versus age 40 versus 20 versus two, I'm able to calculate approximately with current dividends assumed what the total growth of that $1 would grow to over your lifetime. Okay, so for somebody who is 60 years old, let's say that they live to age 90. If they were to put a dollar into a savings account over 30 years, I don't know, what would that grow to over 30 years? Well, at today's 0.01% interest, it actually doesn't even register as any growth over 
30 years for someone putting a dollar into their savings account today on my calculator. So I had to round up to a full 1% savings. Hopefully you could find a 1% savings online or something, high yielding savings account. If you did that, your $1 would do a whopping 35 cents of growth all the way from $1 to 135. Hope you enjoy that ice cream Sunday. But if you were to put as a 60-year-old, in uh, $1 into a paid-up additions rider premium, by your age 90, 30 years later, it would do $4.80, $4.80 growth on our calculations here for the paid-up additions rider. For a 60-year-old, that's 480% growth with no market risk over your 30-year period there. That's tremendous. But what about if you were, let's say, 35? At age 35, the growth from $1 grows to $18.50 by your age 90. $18.50. Amazing. Because remember, as a paid-up additions writer, it's liquid cash in the policy that you can either withdraw or borrow against. So $1 grows consistently and predictably, even if we access the money, to $18.50 if you're a 35-year-old. Now, what about if you're a 15-year-old? This is where things start getting crazy. If you put a $1 bill into a paid up petitions rider when you're 15 years old or your child is 15 years old, by his age or her age 90, your $1 grows to $54.80. $54 on every dollar. Guys, that means if you were to put 10 grand into a policy, what is that? That's 540,000 extra dollars by the time they're 90. Wow, over half a million dollars watching it grow over their lifetime. Now, what if you put it on a $1 premium uh, into the paid up additions rider on a one-year-old? By the one-year-old's age 90, that $1 grows with consistency and predictability and a high degree of confidence through the dividends, which are historically low right now. But over their entire lifetime, $1 grows to $117. That is an unbelievable growth pattern with no market risk. I can't find anything that keeps up with that over one's life. Not a 529 plan, not a 401k, nothing. Certainly not a savings account. So take another look at policies on your children. I know it sounds crazy, but by doing that, by putting policies on your kids or grandkids, you're able to help them grow to the kind of people that you hope they can be. Not just on dollars on a sheet of paper, but by instilling a value of true education of how money really works. Now, we're going to get into an interview with someone here that I think will give you just more insight into the power of having million-dollar babies. <laughs> All right, so let me introduce her to you now. Anita started her career in marketing after obtaining a BBA from Simon Fraser University. She worked in sales and marketing with a few companies before taking the leap into entrepreneurship. So inspired by having had postpartum depression with her firstborn child, Anita opened a play cafe called Kinder Cafe, a place where parents could connect in an environment that had children where they could play freely. She successfully ran the business for five years, but in 2014, she chose to close down the business and launch into the financial world. Since then, Anita Bennett has been helping families secure stable financial futures, and now she works with Canada's fourth largest insurance company, training and supporting financial advisors through British Columbia. So Anita Bennett, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Well, you've, you've got a background in coffee and financial 
planning, which is <laughs> something that I think not many people do. Funny yeah. enough, we've got some buddies and co-conspirators, Brandon and Amanda Neely, who also ran a coffee shop and, and a cafe and sold it at a profit before joining the Bank on Yourself revolution. But oh, really? Anita, tell us about you. Tell us about your background and what got you to where you are today. I uh, studied marketing and uh, business in university and uh, worked in the marketing world for a few years. I worked for Coca-Cola for a number of years. And then I had my daughter and it was very difficult to have a full-time corporate job where I was going to work for eight or nine, 10 hours a day um, and raise my daughter. I really wanted to be there for her. So um I'm, I'm quite creative. I thought of this idea of creating a cafe for parents. I also had struggled with postpartum depression and I found that connecting with other moms was what got me through it. So I created this play cafe and it was a, a huge success. You know, the community loved it. I got to bring my daughter to work with me. Uh, but then I realized it was quite consuming as well. And uh, I didn't really get to see my daughter as much as I thought I would. It actually took a lot away. And, and then I had my son and I just realized I was working quite hard and not really getting anywhere. I really, I, th I just thought I was burning the candle at both ends and I needed to make a change in my life. I had a friend who was in the financial industry um, she was helping families with her business. It was called Mindful Abundance. And uh, I wasn't really into finance. I was more of a marketing kind of creative person. Um, but I liked her and I liked what she stood for in helping families get their finances sorted out and holistic financial planning. And uh, I got my license and got into the industry and never looked back. I, I really enjoyed it. And then I found out about uh, Par Whole Life Insurance, got really excited about that because I felt like it was something I'd never heard of. I didn't, I didn't know about cash value insurance before I entered the industry at all. Um, and I just thought it was a really great concept. And so I kind of just focused on that. Unfortunately, my um, husband became very sick. Um, just as I was entering the industry, he, his cancer had come back. I did run that business for a number of years and then I got hired by an insurance company and kind of took my foot off the brakes of being an entrepreneur. And now I train advisors on Million Dollar Baby and how to sell PAR to their clients. And PAR is sort of participating whole life insurance for those listening, I, I believe. Is that correct, Anita? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Tell, so tell us what is Million Dollar Baby? Uh, Million Dollar Baby is a par whole life policy that you would purchase on your child. So it is buying life insurance on your child, um, although you're not really buying it for the insurance, although that's a great reason to have it. You're buying it for the growth of the cash value. That's your main focus. And in Canada, you can't get a TFSA for your child. Uh, but this is the next best thing. It's uh, an investment that can only grow in value, which I always thought was amazing. You, you know, there's no investment out there that you can say will only go up in value and will steadily go up in value. And when I was younger, I don't think I was taught enough about finance in, in high school and, you know, things like this. They're not mainstream. So I really wanted to make it a mainstream product for people. Fantastic. So help me understand the mindset that comes along with a parent buying a life insurance policy on a child. That can be an emotional, even frame of reference. 
I don't ever want to think about my child passing or anyone I love passing. I, I love my daughter more and more and more every year. So my, my gift to her should be greater and greater on a guaranteed basis. And I love that, Anita. How are parents that you see using these policies in a way that may not be usable through other means, through other financial vehicles? Well, I love the fact that you can borrow against it quite easily. So you can get a policy loan. And um, so, for instance, my daughter and my son both have policies. When they turn 16, rather than finance a vehicle through a dealership, which can have a lot of fees that people don't see and have a lot of interest costs to it, I can just borrow against policy and they can finance a vehicle against their own asset. So it's kind of like they're, they're being their own banker. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And, and so cars, I assume college education, starting mm-hmm. a business, down payment on their home, all those, nothing's restricted, correct? That's right. They can use the money for whatever they like. Are you um, signing your child up for a lifetime of premium payments? That's one of the questions a lot of people ask. If I buy this policy for them, my child, is uh, my child going to have to fund this thing whether they want to or not? No, I've set my policies with my kids as 20 pay policies. You can do a life pay, but even if you do a life pay, there's always that possibility of offsetting premiums in the future, meaning the cash value that's growing in it can be used to pay the premiums for the rest of the life of the policy. And you can get these policies as soon as 14 days after the kiddo is born. Am I correct there? That's right. Is there any reason to to be concerned? What could go wrong here? Uh, The cons are, you know, it is an insurance product. So there are insurance costs. So the cash value will not equal what you put into it in the earlier years. That is basically the only con. So it is um, a long-term investment. I wouldn't, you know, put money into it for a year and then expect to have large cash values. You really have to have a long-term mindset for it. So um, that's really the only drawback of it. So I've got on my screen here from your website, which I can't wait to share with everybody here, the Million Dollar Baby website. I see a sample illustration of the Million Dollar Baby cash and insurance values concept here. So if we started a policy at 250 bucks a month on a little kiddo who's less than one year old, by his or her age 21, we have, and I'm reading here, $80,600 of cash. And that might be used as their education's uh, fund with a life insurance of $600,000 at age 21. Fast forward a few years at age 35, the same policy, which by the way, I guess you're saying was only funded for 20 years, now has $198,000 by his age or her age 35 and a million dollar death benefit. And at age 65, fast forwarding more years still, the cash value has grown on its own to over a million dollars with a death benefit proceed of $2.1 million. Uh, am I reading all these numbers correct? And, and do I need to change my glasses? Because that's pretty awesome. <laughs> no, you're reading it right. Um, it is based on an dividend scale of 6.5%, um, which can fluctuate. But if it stayed at that 6.5%, that's what the values would be, which is quite significant. Great. So given all this, what can we do to learn more about this strategy and to even you know, understand it better, maybe see some of your content that you're putting out. Help us know where we can find out more about this unique strategy. Well, they could come to you, obviously. They could come to me as well. I have a lot of information on my website. I also 
um, have some advisors that specialize in this strategy that can come and talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. So um, it, just basically finding an advisor that knows about these plans and then they can give you all the information you need to get started. And the best website is? That's milliondollarbaby.co. That's my website. But I wouldn't say it's the best, but it's a good one. <laughs> oh, I think it's great. I, I love it. Yeah. You know, it gets the job done. It tells people what you're seeing and what there's mm -hmm. what's possible here. You For know, when, sure. when you sit down with the average financial planner in the United States, we have things like the 529 plan or the ESA accounts, all of which restrict monies in various ways. But the whole life policy the participating whole life policy we refer to as bank on yourself on our podcast, it's it's like free cash for the family. And mm -hmm. really what you're doing and what I think is so cool, Anita, is when I open up a policy on my child, it's not only for her, it's for my unborn grandchildren at some That's point. That's right. If you're really thinking long-term, you're really looking out for your future grandchildren. And Amazing. who doesn't want to do that? But you really have to have a long-term mindset. There's a quote, um, rich people plan for four generations, poor people plan for Saturday night. Oh, wow. And so, <laughs> and so I just, never heard that. <laughs> so I just really love, Anita, that you're helping all of us think long range, and that's going to change the world. So thank you for your help and for what you do. Yeah, no problem. We all want to leave a legacy deep down inside. We just have to have the courage to do it. <laughs> Thanks for your help. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks again, Anita, for coming on. And for those of you who haven't already tried it, go to milliondollarbaby.co to learn more about how you can learn the benefits of setting up a policy for your children, for your entire family. As we wrap up today's episode, I want to give you guys some exciting news, some very exciting news. Uh, we have a brand new membership site. That's right. You are invited to join. We've got a brand new Not Your Average Financial Community, and we are launching it and you are invited. This is our private community for specifically for listeners to this podcast. It's built just for you and other financial revolutionaries. On that membership site, we're going to have discussions on each of these episodes. So you can ask your questions, follow up, discover more. You can have live Q&A office hours with me as well as other, other esteemed podcast guests like Anita and more. We're going to have master classes that you cannot get anywhere else to dive deeper into the not your average financial strategies like bank on yourself or the income maximization strategy and so, so, so much more. It's a space where we can be accountable to taking control of our financial future. Guys, I think you're going to agree. So often podcast episodes, YouTube videos with life-changing content can just come and go in one year, out the other without us taking any action but our online community will be about actually taking the action and getting things started. So if you want to budget, if you want to invest in real estate, if you're ready to start banking on yourself, now is your chance. Come and join us. It is free for those who are able to sign up now. We may be charging latecomers. So remember, the early bird gets the worm. The best website to go to is notyouraverage.mn.co. That's notyouraverage.mn.co. You can also find the link in our show notes. But again, the website one more time is notyouraverage.mn. Co. Guys, I'm so excited about this membership site. I know you're going to love it too. But for now, I want to leave you with this. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. 
This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.